Hello and welcome back to the EuropeLex podcast, guaranteed to be the most COVID-riddled on your feed this week. I'm Ewan Healy and with me, of course, is my very good friend, Gabriel Hedengren. Hi, how are you and how are you? I'm well, thank you. Yeah, I mean, why well, say we're COVID-riddled, both Gabriel and I are currently self-isolating, so... Don't worry, it's not transmissible down the podcast as far, as far as we can tell. Yeah, thank God. I mean, it's a, it's a weird thing to have it uh, now because I haven't had it before. Uh, and thankfully, I feel fine. Uh, and uh, podcasting is definitely something that you can very much do <laughs> while having COVID and stuck in your little studio flat. Absolutely. And we've just been talking about actually, this is a pretty opportune week to be self-isolating. Thankfully, both of us have got pretty much no symptoms, but we're both Glad to be hiding from the storms which have been hitting Western Europe, uh, sort of Northwestern Europe over the last uh, few days. So we're glad to be missing those. Absolutely. It's also Olympics. Great for streaming stuff in bed at 1am instead of being out and about with friends. So yeah, I can't, I can't really complain. No, we're very lucky. We're very lucky. Let's crack on with the episode. But before we get to our normal headlines, we've got some very exciting housekeeping things to mention now housekeeping isn't normally exciting but this week it is as we've mentioned obviously over the last few episodes we've been going for two years and we've had 50 uh, episodes now and so we've decided to change things up a little bit here we have first of all as some of you the most eagle-eyed of you will have noticed we have got a shiny new logo and um, we're very proud of it um and but be sure to let us know what you think of it so that will be the logo that represents this podcast on your feed for the foreseeable future yeah, it's very nice having a having a new look. And the other change that's coming through is that we will shift to having our bi-weekly regular episodes without any interviews and publish our interviews with European politicians, academics and politics experts separately to our news podcasts. We're hoping that this will mean that we'll be able to publish our podcast shortly after the recording. Uh, and make sure that they're as up-to-date as possible for all of our listeners. This means that every week you'll now get some EuropeLex content in your feed, alternating between an in-depth interview with the people who make the news in Europe, and then the other week we'll bring you those news from the bleeding edge of the Brussels bubble. So yeah, we're hoping that there'll be a shorter time between news reporting and you hearing from us, obviously. We cover so many different countries and there's so much happening all the time, every day. So being current is, is something to strive for. And we're doing this in response as well to some feedback from, from emails and messages through Patreon, etc. And of course, we're always trying to make these changes to make this experience better for all of you guys. And of course, the History Corner podcast with the lovely Matthew will continue to come across to you monthly. Before we crack on with our new segment, here's a little message from us about how you can support us and our headlines and our interviews in our new look fashion. If you like this podcast and want to help us grow, be sure to subscribe and drop us a review on whichever platform you listen to us on, including now with Spotify's all-new rating system on Spotify. And of course, tell your friends about us. That would mean the absolute world, of course. Also, if you have an idea for a segment, thoughts on a topic we should be covering, or of course, if you just want to say hi, drop us an email at podcast at europelex.eu. Also, EuropeLex now has merch. Do you want to support us? Are you a polling election nerd like us and just want everybody to know about it? Head on to europelex.redbubble.com and check out all the mugs, maps, t-shirts, stickers, and more that we are producing for you. 
We are really excited about it and our team is working on more designs all the time. Let us know how you like them. We at Europlex are run wholly by volunteers. We aren't funded by big donors and everything we do, including this very podcast here, is only possible with the help of our supporters. And of course, we always want to carry on what we're doing and do so much more. We've started sharing exclusive discussions, special content, and more via our Patreon. Access all of it from as little as one euro a month. Don't miss out and support us by becoming a patron on Patreon. There have been several elections since our last podcast episode, and we're going to start off by talking through the indirect presidential elections in the Federal Republic of Germany that took place on February 13th. The German president is chosen through an indirect procedure during the meeting of the Federal Convention, which is a constitutional body consisting of Bundestag members. There are 736 of them at the moment, and an equal number of state electors from the various federal states in Germany. It was very much expected that the incumbent Frank-Walter Steinmeier would be re-elected, and he was for a second term. Having the support of all mainstream parties, Steinmeier secured 78.04% of the votes from the convention members, so a commanding majority. His competitors, Max Otte, supported by AFD, Alternative für Deutschland, received 10.45%. Gerhard Trabert, supported by Die Linke, received 7.17%. And Stephanie Gebauer, supported by Free Voters, received 4.33% of the vote. So yeah, uh, all the mainstream parties united behind Steinmeier, and he's expected to remain in his position till the end of the second term, which will be in 2027. So there'll be a full 10 years of Steinmeier as president of Germany. Moving on to Spain now, where on the same day as Germany, the Castilla and Leon Autonomous Community of Spain headed to the polls. So as we discussed last week, the region was previously governed by a coalition of the centre-right Partido Popular and the Liberal Ciudadanos. However, as the relations between the two parties have been worsening, the PP-affiliated president announced snap parliamentary elections. It was expected, based on the polling, that the centre-right Partido Popular would take first place and rise significantly, but only one of those two took place. The centre-right party received 31 seats, two more than in 2019, but received pretty much the same vote share with 31.4% to 2019's 31 The centre-left PSOE, as expected, saw a large fall from 34.9%, 35 seats, to 30.1% and 28 seats. Now, the biggest winner of this election is undoubtedly the National Conservative Vox that saw a remarkable rise of 12% and ended up in third place on 17.6% and 13 seats. On the other hand, the biggest loser would be the Liberal Ciudadanos, that went from third place to fifth place, receiving 4.5% of the vote and only one seat in the regional parliament. At this point, it'll be quite significant to see if the centre-right Partido Popular will work with Vox or whether they can work out a deal with the centre-left PSOE, which is demanding that PP ceases any agreement with Vox at any level. Now, that demand from 
PSOE would, of course, impact Partido Popular in the community of Madrid as well, at a time there are accusations of espionage and corruption from the regional leader, Isabel Diaz Ayuso, against the National Party. So there's lots to sort of keep an eye on there, and followers of Spanish politics will be keeping an eye on what this could mean for Partido Popular and its leadership nationally as well as locally. As it were, February 13th was a very busy day for electoral politics in Europe, as Switzerland also held four national referenda on the day before Valentine's Day. As expected, the Animal and Human Experiments Initiative failed to pass, with nearly 80% of voters opposing it. The initiative called for a ban on animal experiments and on the import of products developed using animal and human testing the latter apparently including vaccines, and as I said, it failed to pass. In fact, two other initiatives were also rejected by the Swiss electorate, one aimed at abolishing a new issues tax on company shares, and the other at offering further financial support for local and regional media. The one initiative that did pass was the one aimed at banning tobacco and electronic cigarette advertising in all places where children and adolescents might see it. It got support from 56.6% of voters and a majority in 15 of the country's 23 cantons. As it goes with Swiss referenda, most of the time, turnout was low overall or in the mid to low 40s. But yeah, one out of four referenda in Switzerland passed and... That's a big L for tobacco companies. Can't complain too much. Now, in our last episode, we brought you the results of the SNAP parliamentary election in Portugal, and we even had a very interesting interview on it, which Gabriel brilliantly did. But now we have to revisit the country as there might be a partial rerun of the election because of vote count irregularities. Now we've got your attention. It is worth saying that that is only the electoral districts for the uh, voters abroad. And so it will have little effect on the actual outcome of the elections. It will, however, delay the new government taking over officially as the final results will have to be waited for before we can know final parliamentary makeup for those last two MPs. For a more detailed analysis of what took place, do check our website where our colleague Celso Gomez has a very informative article on the whole Portuguese situation. Speaking of electoral events and vote count irregularities, we go to a much more serious case of that, which is Belarus, of course. After a long period of political tensions, the country that is categorized as an electoral autocracy by VDEM and the regimes of the world's classification is heading towards a referendum on constitutional amendments on February 27th. The country's president, Alexander Lukashenko, has argued that the constitutional changes will help facilitate a smoother political transformation ahead of his planned exit from office via elections. He did, however, make clear that he's not intending to go to any snap elections soon. People opposing Lukashenko argue that his real plan with the new constitution is to further strengthen his rule until 2035, while others see the referendum as an attempt to buy time. Many observers worry that the new constitution will mark the first step towards the unification of Belarus and Russia. So that's just speculations, of course, but who knows what's behind this move by Lukashenko. The Eastern European country is a traditional ally of Russia, and after recent sanctions, Belarus has created even closer ties with the Kremlin as a way to exit the internal crisis that's been facing the government uh, for the past year. You'll remember um, the huge protests there last summer uh, that have been going on uh, ever since um, that are troublesome for Lukashenko. It's important to note 
of course, that there's an extremely high possibility that the reported results of the referendum will not correspond to the actual will of the people in Belarus, as we have seen in previous referendums and elections in the country. But it's still an electoral event launched by Lukashenko, and we will cover it as it is Europe, and it has ramifications not only for Belarus, but for the rest of the continent as well. So yes, stay posted for developments in this area. In other complicated political news, we go to Montenegro, where Prime Minister Dravko Krivokovic was ousted after a little over a year in office. The head of the For the Future of Montenegro list in the 2020 elections lost the parliament's support in a motion of no confidence, where 11 MPs supported him, 43 voted against, and 27 abstained or were absent. He will, however, remain as an acting prime minister until a new prime minister is nominated by the centre-left president, Milo Dukanovic and approved by the parliament. Now, we can't ignore discussing what's going on in Ukraine and the rising tensions between the country, NATO, and its large neighbour to the east, Russia. These tensions resurfaced when Russia demanded NATO stop its expansion into eastern Ukraine and block the entrance of Ukraine into the alliance, while NATO on its end blamed Kremlin for planning to invade Ukraine by placing a large number of troops on the border of the two post-Soviet countries. Russia has expectedly denied any plans to invade Ukraine and has responded to the accusation by saying that it was all Western propaganda. So there is currently a big information war going on that I'm sure all of our politically interested listeners will be following closely. So what this has led to over the past few weeks is an intense diplomatic back and forth between Kiev, the West and Russia with U.S. intelligence claiming to have specific dates for potential invasions of Ukraine, with threats against Russia of imposing harsh sanctions in the event of this invasion. And a number of high-level diplomatic meetings have also been taking place that have been followed very closely by media worldwide. After the meeting between the new German Chancellor Olaf Scholz and Vladimir Putin, Russia's president, things looked like they would calm down with claims of Russia pulling back troops and de-escalating the conflict. But things remain far from stable at this moment. Both sides continue to blame each other for provocations, and it still seems that Europe is very close to a full-on war. Now we are going to head to the European Parliament, where as we discussed last episode, the German MEP Jörg Moiten left the right-wing AFD, uh, of which he had previously been the co-chairman, but announced that he would remain in the right-wing Identity and Democracy Group as an independent MEP. Well, as a natural development to story, he has now left the ID group and sits with the non-inscripts group instead in the European Parliament. Furthermore, the Greek centre-right MEP, uh, Jorgos Kirtsos, has been expelled from his national party. The ruling centre-right New Democracy announced the expulsion following increasing criticism from the MEP, saying his stance is discrediting and defaming the country. The now independent MEP has been targeting the Prime Minister Kyriakos Mitsotakis and has been publicly expressing concern over his handling of the pandemic, as well as uh, the economy and, and matters of the rule of law, including particularly the Novartis bribery scandal and some matters of persecution of journalists. Now, of course, we can't discuss the European Parliament this week and not mention how Bulgarian MEP Angel Zabanski of National Conservative VMRO and the ECR group seemingly made the Nazi salute while 
leaving a parliamentary debate on the rule of law in Poland and Hungary. An investigation over the fascist gesture has officially been launched within the European Parliament, with the MEP expressing that it was a simple wave and he was surprised that it was misunderstood as a Nazi salute. In a letter to his fellow MPs, he has also apologised if his, what he called, innocent wave had insulted anyone. Not something way more fun, namely our polling highlights of this episode, and there's there's a few. We begin in Estonia, where the Liberal Estonian Reform Party, or R, reached 18.2 in a Norstat poll. This is the lowest result for the party of incumbent Prime Minister Kaja Kala since January of 2016. In another Norstat poll, the Liberal Estonia 200 reached an all-time record instead of 20.9%. The party was launched just in 2018 and is led by Kristina Kalas, who has no relation to the Prime Minister Kaja Kalas, and had received 4.4% in the 2019 election failing to pass the 5% threshold. So they've seen a huge boost in just a few years. But this means that there are two liberal Kalas-led parties in Estonia, one with a record low and one with a record high in consecutive Norstat polls. So that's a funny situation. Absolutely one of my favourite stories coming out of Europe at the moment. I just I just love the idea that there's two very similar parties with similarly lame needlers. It's like a, it's like a sketch from a comedy show. There's there's going to be bound to be some confusion. Speaking of highs and lows, we go to Slovakia where a median poll showed Liberal PS receive a record high of 10.6% and the center-left HLAS receive a record low of 13.5%. Now, the Liberal PS had run in the last elections in a coalition with the centre-right Spolu and received 6.96%, failing to pass the 7% threshold. On the other hand, the centre-life HLAS was formed in 2020 as a split-off from the Smer grouping and is led by former Prime Minister Peter Pellegrini. Now we go to Norway, where we're also seeing quite a lot of movement at the moment. The centrist agrarian centre party received 7.2% in a recent Morfacta poll, which is its lowest result since January 2017. On the other hand, an opinion poll showed the far-left Red Party receiving an all-time high with 10.3%. The Centre Party received 13.5% back in September in the Norwegian elections, so it's quite a significant fall in less than six months. And the Red Party received just 4.7% in the election, so it's gone in the other direction and more than doubled its support, which is quite significant on a, at a European scale, given its hard left profile. Now we go to Italy, of course, where a Tema Metro Politico poll showed National Conservative Fratello d'Italia receive yet another record high with 21.9%. And a quorum poll showed Italexit received a record high as well with 2.8%. Now, this populist party, Italexit, was formed by former Movimento Cinque Stelle, Senator Juan Luigi Paragone, and, as you might have easily discerned from its name, argues for the withdrawal of Italy from the European Union a la Brexit. Lovely. Moving on to Moldova now, where an IDIS-CBS research IPRI poll, that's a mouthful, Anyway, the polls showed both the left-wing BECS and the newly formed MAN received record highs recently. BECS, which is the alliance of the Party of Socialists and the Party of Communists of the Republic of Moldova, received 40% in the poll, which is quite the rise from the 27% the alliance received in last year's Moldovan election. MAN, on the other hand, is Misharia Alternativa Nacionala, a party launched in December by Jan Cheban, the incumbent mayor of the country's capital, Chisnau, and it received 
42% in the poll. So far cry from 40%, but still a record high nonetheless. For our penultimate polling highlight, we go to Slovenia, where the centre-left Gibanja Svoboda has received multiple record highs, with the latest being 27.2% in a Nida Media poll. The party was previously known as Zeddej and changed its name following Robert Golob's election as party leader. Finally, we want to cover Turkey quickly, where the ruling Justice and Development Party, AKP, led by President Tayyip Erdogan received a new historic low with 26.3% in a recent Akam poll. If this was to be repeated in election, it would put the right-wing party in second place behind the centre-left CHP, and it would be the party's worst ever electoral results. So it's not looking good for President Erdogan in Turkey, if we are to believe the polls. And that is all of the news and polling highlights from around the continent for this week. Thanks so much for listening, and we will see you next week for a very exciting interview. Bye, guys. Thank you for listening to the EuropeLex podcast. To stay up to date with European politics, make sure you subscribe and, of course, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Telegram, Vcontacta, and YouTube. We're spreading out wherever we can, so do please follow us. There's no excuse not to anymore. You can find us at EuropeLex.eu and at EuropeLex across all social media and at Europe underscore Lex on Instagram. See you next time. You've been listening to the EuropeLex podcast, hosted by me, Ewan Healy, and my colleague, Gabriel Hedengren. The managing editor was Polychronus Karampalas. The script was written by our hosts and our writing team, Matthew Nicholson, Jorgos Kukouris, Guillaume Ferreira de Senda, Yanis Ashakian, and Yavi Debad. The music was by Jose Alvarado, and everything we do wouldn't be possible without our patrons from Patreon. <laughs>